0: This is Health and & Living and you're listening to an edited recording of the first panel session from this year's Health & Living Live 2023 with the theme of Powering Through Life. On this panel, Juliet Jacobs spoke to Dr Arvind Raj, a sports medicine physician and strength and conditioning specialist from Hospital Tuanku Amponrahima, Dr Harjit Singh, a consultant orthopedic surgeon from Columbia Asia Hospital, and Shamin Ang, a yoga instructor, on what it means to keep your body fit, strong and flexible across your lifespan. Here's the first part of that conversation.
1: Well, we want to be fit, right? We want to be fit, kind of fabulous. We want to be healthy. Uh, But there's no sort of fixed formula for that, is there? So that that concept of fitness, we know, is not... It's not just confined to treadmills and weightlifting and, and salad bowls. It's a convergence, I feel, of physical strength, of mental resilience, of emotional balance. Or is it, I don't know, I've got the experts here to, to help us to break it down. So today we want to talk about that, exploring how to be fit and healthy and the many different ways we can achieve that. So just before we start, quick poll, raise of hands. How many of you here feel that you're fit? Are you... Come lah, surely, okay. Alright, we've got our work uh, cut out for us, okay? So, so if I'm, I can start with uh, Dr. Arvin, yeah? Dr. Arvin, you know, as a sports physician, how do you assess one's fitness? What are the metrics or the sort of tests that are commonly used?
2: Um, when it comes to fitness, it's not a single dimension. It's a multi-dimensional uh, assessment. So you got your strength, you got your endurance, or your cardiovascular strength, and then you have your mobility and your flexibility. Uh, of course, in the true sense, in the traditional sense, it's normally just strength, endurance, and flexibility, but I think mobility has a, a big role to play with uh, how fit you are, actually. So yeah, uh, we will assess, uh, this could be, uh, for the endurance, you could be doing a, a step test, or a six-minute walk test, or a, a, what we call is a bleep test for athletes, then for strength tests, we have things from hand-gripped exercises to all the way to uh, one-rep testing and three-RM testing and those kind of things. They are d- depending on what you have. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, when it comes to flexibility, there are things like the sit and reach and then of, and mobility as well. So that's to see how much of a functional range of motion you have.
1: Okay. And what about things like, you know, your BMI? Does that necessarily mean one is fit and healthy, you know, if you've got a healthy BMI?
2: Okay. So that's a yes and a no kind of question. Uh, BMI... Uh, is it's, it's a metric to see whether your weight is appropriate for your height. It's a mathematical situation here. Okay? So for the vast majority of people, or at least you see health parameters, we have, we have circled or uh, encompassed our health parameters around BMI. So you're talking about diabetic, heart conditions, obesity, and so on. But when it comes to the overweight people, okay, it, can, it can be a little gray, especially if you're one of those exercisers or people who have competitive goals or athletes okay people who have more muscle mass so they start ranging into this overweight zone and it can be gray so just because you have a normal bmi which i've seen a lot that doesn't mean you can run a five km or you could do a pull-up and just because you're slightly overweight that doesn't mean you're unfit if you look at the athletic population majority of them are overweight and they probably have the best body compositions health parameters blood parameters and so on so to summarise that, it's a yes and no, and it really depends on what metrics we're looking at. Uh, just because you have a normal BMI, it does not guarantee your good health and good fitness. Likewise, if you have a slightly overweight BMI, that doesn't mean you're unhealthy altogether. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, Dr. Hajit, can I also bring you in and ask you that very same question? You know, how do you, you know, as as an orthopaedic surgeon as well, you see lots of different people with different fitness levels. I mean, how do you um, measure one's f- uh, physical capabilities or one's fitness levels as such?
3: Okay, uh, rightly so. Um, I tend to see them when they're injured uh, System them predominantly when they are relatively <laughs> healthy. Uh, when someone is injured, we tend to cone into the problem. Now, when you get injured, you can be injured due to an overuse kind of injury or you can get an acute injury, which is something bigger, like a dislocation of your joint or a fracture. But the way we would assess your fitness is that if you develop an overuse injury, the suspect is normally your flexibility. So if you're not so flexible and you repetitively do an exercise, you put yourself in a scenario where you can get an overuse injury. So you, you're, you're, you, know, you have to work on your flexibility. And while uh, Dr. Arwin correctly mentioned that uh, uh, cardiovascular endurance, uh, muscle strength is important and uh, mobility is important, me as an orthopedic surgeon, I notice that a lot of problems develop if you don't have all of them in combination, you have poor balance. And as we get a little mature, I won't say older, uh, you tend to have the, uh, you know, a lack of balance in movement and that can bring about an injury. So we look at it very globally. I see them and they're injured and we try to cone down into which area that we need to work on. And even when we treat injury, how, how how, cardiovascularly good you are, how fit you are determines the kind of treatment and your response to treatment. So everything does come in together.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think this is a good time to bring Shamin into the conversation as well. They're talking about mobility, they're talking about you know, flexibility as well, right? Charmin? Um, I don't think this is a stretch at all. Uh, how can yoga complement you know, other forms of exercise in a sort of well-rounded fitness regime? I mean, what is the importance of that?
4: Um, I think like what Dr. Haji mentioned earlier, yoga helps with not just flexibility itself, but it also helps to build up balance Um, And as we age, I think balance is one of the things that is really important because you don't want to fall. That's the last thing that you want. So when we practice yoga, we do have movements where we actually work on balancing um, and this would actually help a lot as we age. Um, In terms of flexibility, like what Dr. Arvin mentioned earlier on, um, it actually is going to complement a lot of the other movements that you do in your daily lives and also even your strength training programs as well. Because when you work on your flexibility or mobility itself, we are building a bigger range of motion for the body. Mm-hmm.
1: And Dr. Arvin, can I ask you, what are some key components of physical fitness that you think we should focus on for our overall health? You know? And, and uh, continuing from that, you know, are there some myths or mistakes that perhaps young adults tend to fall into uh, when it comes to fitness?
2: Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the the paradigms that we use to assess someone's fitness is exactly what you should be focusing on. Uh, given that when you do strength training, especially when you're doing strength training through a, a large range of motion, flexibility comes with it along with mobility. Mm-hmm. But those are things that you, actually have to, you have to work on too, simply uh, things like mobility. Uh, because if you don't use that range of motion, you kind of lo- uh, lose that range of motion, especially those end range of motions. Because we will work throughout our day life through a certain range of motion, which is normally the mid-range, and we don't use the extremes. So you don't do anything to maintain those things. You kind of lose them as you age. All right? And and with that being said, just because you are younger, that does not guarantee you're more flexible because I've seen people who are very inflexible and they're young. All right? And just because you're female, that doesn't that, immediately yeah. guarantee that you're more flexible. That's something that uh, people assume that females are more flexible. Again, I've seen males are more flexible than females, and likewise, the other way around is still present. And strength is something that probably is, uh, maybe it's getting better now, but it's often neglected because cardiovascular fitness kind of takes the, the throne majority of the time. When someone talks about fitness, the first thing you think about is, can you run? Mm. But no one has ever asked, can you do a push-up? You know, if I ask I anyone like here, to
1: my soul here,
2: yeah, could you do five push-ups or could you do a pull-up? Because if you can't lift your own body weight up, because something that goes away as you age or, or dwindles down as you age is your strength. And your muscle mass, these are things called as dynopenia and sarcopenia. So these are things that are, are really going to threaten your livelihood as you get older. If you ask any elderly person, what they would want is their independence. And you lose that independence when you lose your strength. That's something you have to focus on as you age.
1: So what would that right balance look right, uh, look like, right, between cardio and strength training in any sort of fitness routine that we want to pursue?
2: I would say you should give 50-50 or you can just follow what ACSM has said. 150 minutes of moderate cardiovascular exercise and two times a week of strength training. But if you're someone who likes any one of these particular attributes a little bit more than the other, you could probably hone in on that a little bit more. You could spend more time with the cardiovascular side and then do spend some time with the strength training and likewise the reverse.
0: You're listening to an edited recording of the first panel session at this year's Health & Living Life 2023. We'll be right back after this break on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health & Living. This is an edited recording of the first panel session at this year's Health & Living Life 2023 on keeping your body fit, strong and flexible no matter your starting point or your age. Here's the second part from that session.
1: Dr. Hajit, right? Um, okay, so we've got our, let's say, we've got our fitness regime going, um, but there are some sort of common mistakes as well that we can make when we are uh, doing our training, right? What are some common mistakes that you see uh, in your patients, you know, who've come to see you uh, when we're doing our fitness, you know, some things that we, yeah, when, when is the right time that we should come and see you as well? Yeah,
3: I, I, I think uh, the most important thing is that you have to understand where you are, where your base is before you start. So that's one Uh, The second thing is that if you have any medical issues uh, such as maybe hypertension, diabetes, some heart disease, sometimes you require uh, an evaluation before you actually start sports or start doing things. And uh, the sports med physicians are a group of physicians which do that area. Um, The second thing is that it's not only about doing the exercise, but you have to invest in the proper attire. Because you know you can do the exercise the correct way, but if you are not wearing the correct attire, you might just slip and injure yourself anyway. So it doesn't make sense there. And while things like yoga seem easy, okay, uh, I, I was tired just now, but seem easy, the way it's done, the steps that it should be done, and uh, you know the motions that you should do it at, it should be slow at a start. So basically, learn how to do the exercise or the motion of the game first, so you prevent injuries. Now, after that, as you take your game higher, we normally, I always say, a lot of my patients start with uh, cardiovascular fitness. You have to have a base, and then they add on some amount of strength. And uh, they do well that way. Even for me, I found that after a period of doing a lot of cardio, you tend to notice that if your nutrition is not up to the mark, then you notice that your muscle is starting to go haywire, and you can't push yourself anymore. My goals are very moderate. I want to be able to walk when I walk. I want to know. I, I want to know that you know I have a bounce in my step. I have energy at the end of the day to do whatever else. Uh, away from work so that's my goal but other people have different goals so it depends on what your goals are so exercising being fit being healthy it's all determined by the goals that you set for yourself
1: and, and just you know uh, looking at uh, we have a very diverse crowd here right are there any age related considerations that we should take note of uh, when it comes to our orthopedic health and fitness as well
3: Okay, I, I'll put one point, I mean there's a lot of them, but one point is very important. We tend to think that as we age, uh, our flexibility suffers. Okay, that's true because the structure of tissue uh, okay, tightens up a bit. But mind you, I see a lot of uh, adolescent athletes or people who exercise, the teenage uh, group of patients, who lack flexibility. The reason being when they attain puberty, growth is occurring very, very fast and the growing bone outstrips the speed at which your muscles and your tendons can grow. So you tend to lose flexibility and if you're not mindful about that, you also develop certain injuries which are related to this speed of growth. So both groups of uh, people actually suffer from issues of flexibility. So you have to be mindful of that.
1: Okay. And just going back to yoga, I mean, we've got a question here on Slido, right? They're asking, you know, is yoga suitable for anyone of any body size, any shape, uh, any level of fitness, basically?
4: Um, I feel like yoga is one of those things that is a little slower compared to a lot of other sports. And there are also many types of yoga. So in short, yes, it is suitable for everyone. But you've also got to learn how to pick the right class. Um, There are classes that are a little bit slower. Um, There are classes with a little bit of a faster pace as well. Um, There are classes which uses a little bit more props. Um, And then all these factors actually determine uh, what type of class that you choose and whether it suits you or not. Um, I would say if, let's say, you do do a lot of other sports, um, you could probably pick a class that is a little bit faster paced. Um, These are usually called vinyasa or flow classes. Um, You'll see them labeled as such. Um, If you want a slightly slower-paced class, um, then you can look for hatha classes. If you want a class that focuses a little bit more on deep stretching and relaxing, then you can look out for yin classes. So these are just different types of classes catered for different um, body types, catered for different fitness levels as well.
1: And, you know, it's not just about the movements as well, right? Breath, your breathing plays a very important role in yoga, yep. am I yep. correct? Yeah. Can you That's talk to right. us a little bit about that? Okay, I want to ask a question.
4: How many of you here feel stressed <laughs> every day? <laughs> well, everyone, okay. If you notice whenever you're stressed, <laughs> your breathing tends to change. The doctors are very stressed. If you notice when you're stressed, your breathing tends to change a little. Um, for myself, at least. I noticed myself breathing a lot faster than usual. I notice a lot more movement coming from the shoulders and the neck. And in the yoga class, we actually teach students how to first slow down our breaths a little. I think that plays a very big part in actually managing our stress levels. So with the right breathing techniques and also really practicing mindfulness in the class itself, It is not just like a physical exercise. I wouldn't say yoga is just a physical exercise. It's also a practice that helps you to connect to your thoughts. It helps you to connect to the way you think and together with the breathing itself, I think that's something that can help us manage stress as well.
1: Okay. And Dr. Avin, if I can go back to you, right? There's a concept called functional fitness, isn't it? Could you explain that to to our audience here, what that means and how we can actually uh, incorporate that?
2: Alright, so I guess the term functional fitness is coined to actually say that the exercise that you do mimics the things that you do in your life. Now, uh, there's a little bit of a stir of that in the strength community we, because we believe that uh, you don't need to learn how to sit and stand by doing squats. Okay.
1: Uh,
2: everything is functional. As long as you're strong and you can work through a range of motion, technically anything and everything is functional. So that means I don't need, if someone uh, needs to sit and stand, so an elderly comes to me having difficulty to sit and stand they could have knee osteoarthritis and then they have some anterior knee pain. So for that particular reason, they find it difficult. So what I would do is I would regress the exercise first. It could be just trying to straighten your leg and kind of bend it. You regress that, and as they get better, you kind of add other components into it. So frankly speaking, everything is functional uh, when it comes to strength training. Some some people need to regress some things, some people need to progress some things. So the term functional fitness, in real sense, is just basically improving on your strength improving your flexibility improving your mobility and everything's functional from there on
1: so basically anything that you're doing in as you go about your daily life like, like carrying my child for example that's also
2: yeah technically, technically you could you, you walk around with a dumbbell after this. Correct. just to train 17 for that.
1: Kg. <laughs> <laughs> um and exercising, uh, Dr. Hajit, you know, so I think a lot of us face injuries a lot, unfortunately. I'm speaking for myself here. Like, I know I'm your, one of your patients, right, as well. Injuries everywhere. Um, you've already mentioned some of the common orthopedic issues, but exercising after an injury, I think that's an important thing that we need to think about as well, right? Um, how can we come back safely? You know, how can we get back to exercise after facing any sort of musculoskeletal injury or perhaps even surgery?
3: Okay, the first thing is, getting back to whatever you want to do after an orthopedic or musculoskeletal injury is possible. And surprisingly, I've had my patients who got better than what they were. So the journey of being injured and recovering for it, from it is also an educational one. So you get injured, then you find out what you did wrong. Then people like me, uh, we look at what went wrong at that particular moment and then we fix it. And after that, you are educated on how to get better and recover. And then you are educated on how to prevent it happening again. So I think this is very, very important. I think probably, um, I'll give you one scenario. Okay, in the knee joint, very common injury. Um, We have the bone, we have the ligaments, we have the cartilage. So if you are a meat eater and you eat your KFC drumstick, that smooth surface at the end of the bone is your cartilage. And in between, you have the meniscus, the bushing, if you're a car enthusiast, the shock absorber, so to speak. Sometimes you tear that, okay, during your exercise. So it depends on what we do. Now, the older you are and if the injury was trivial and you get a tear of your meniscus, we generally work on the muscles and the tissue to just calm everything down, get it stronger, and a lot of patients do very, very well and get back to their activity. Mind you, not everybody, some of them have to modify some activity, but okay, they get back and they're happy. But then there's the younger group of patients. They have an injury, they tear the meniscus, and the demands on the joint, you know, you tell a footballer, you tore the meniscus, now you play carom, he will kick you. <laughs> so, we need to do possible surgery. Now, the reason why I'm telling you this is that it's not just meniscus surgery. It depends on what you do, whether you repair it, whether you remove the tear, and everything affects your path to recovery. The initial part is going to be the same. You probably will have your physiotherapist working on it. I work with a sports medicine physician in my hospital to help me with rehab. Now, we have to understand we are not heroes. We can't do everything on our own. Okay, I think he'll agree with that. But if you work as a team, you got a physio, you got a good sports medicine physician, you got a good patient, Okay, then the recovery is often very, very smooth. And all of us have to be on the same page. So I cannot be talking about chapati and dal, and someone is talking about briyani in rehab, no. So the patient gets confused. So if all of us speak that, okay, this is how long it's going to get, six weeks, and you are possibly going to get back to sports at three to six months. So if I repair a meniscus, the footballer goes back and plays at six months, if I do a good job. If I remove that torn meniscus, he gets back to football faster. So the choice is also on the patient. But it is possible to get back after injury.
1: And Dr. Avin, on that, right, um, when we are pursuing a, a fitness regime of any sort, right, how can we prevent or address these common sort of, like, exercise-related injuries? Um, and what are some signs of perhaps overtraining or that, you know, we are, we're not doing it right lah in that sense?
2: Okay, yeah. With injuries, there's often uh, what is called as non-contact and contact injuries. So if you're playing sports like futsal you know, badminton and rugby and whatnot, that depending on what is the injury you're getting, it could be contact-related, it could be someone tackling you, or you could have misstepped and you could have injured yourself. Then likewise, you have injuries that happens in the gym or through running and so on. So the way the injuries happen, I think Dr. Haji spoke about that earlier, it could be because of something that you could not avoid, like a tackle and so on. And there are things that you could avoid with better conditioning, better programming, better training okay with that that ties to my answer of overtraining overtraining syndrome is something that you rarely see i mean no one should ever experience overtraining syndrome because that's both uh, a physical and a, or a physiological and a psychological uh, uh, maladaptation basically it starts affecting not only your overall health your immune system how your your body's uh, brain systems works nerve systems works and so on and when you go into the point of overtraining syndrome it's really hard to turn back mm-hmm. Simply because that's, that's a point at which your body is starting to decompensate it uh, badly. So when we are talking about training uh, or exercising per se, we do want to get adaptations. That means if you want to go from a 5km run to a 10km run, it has to happen in a structured manner. So the body gets time to adapt to it. But there is a limit to how much your body can adapt from. So when you come to the point of overreaching, you want it to stay functional. That means you're going to a point where you've never been before, but for a short duration, and then you have a recovery period, and then your body supercompensates and learns from that. But when you start pushing this compensation, you start pushing this, this overreaching to a certain point where your body is having a hard time to recover from, and it takes you weeks to months to recover, then you go to this point of non-functional overreaching. And at this point, you still have become stubborn and not listen to your body and keep pushing, you go to this point of overtraining. So overtraining, in reality, it's more theoretical. I've rarely seen it in my practice of 12 years. Okay. Uh, but if I do see it, it's disastrous. Okay. Yeah.
1: But the key, of course, is then you know when you feel like you're not recovering fast enough, you just need to dial it back a little bit, right? Exactly. Okay, all right. So, again, it's just quite common sense, I suppose, right? Um, we're getting some questions on Slido here. And I think, you know, a lot of us uh, in, the, in the audience also are working individuals. So, uh, one question here is, uh, would you say that conventional working life, an 8 a.m. to 5, uh, sorry, 8 to 5 sort of desk job, um, and, you know, hours stuck in traffic on, daily, uh, on the daily, limited active transport, that's just not healthy at all? You know, having that sort of uh, lifestyle, I suppose, uh, Dr. Haji,
3: you want to take that yeah, one first? I, I, okay, uh, I probably can, can, can relate to that. So, contrary to popular beliefs, orthopedic surgeons are busy doctors. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, so yes, we have a, I have an early day, and then uh, initially what I used to do is I try to cycle to my place of work. I try to plug it into my routine. Uh, but the traffic going from my house to... My place of work probably will kill me. So then I noticed that, you know, uh, me and Nirmal, we don't have kids, but we got four doggies. So I walked the dogs a good five to six kilometers in the morning. So I think the idea, while I used to think that this very regimented schedule that I had did not allow me to exercise, sometimes you can just plug it in here and there and it actually works. I'm a morning person, so I try to do something in the morning. I can have all the time in the evening, but I'll never do anything. So I try to put it in. I do have friends who, after work, they are going to hit the gym for an hour or so, and they do their workout. And actually, once you make that a norm, yeah, you look forward to that regardless of how tired you are. I think it's just uh, that, that thrill and that adrenaline rush that you have done it. I cut down cycling because every time I went to work, I had to wash my hair and then I had to dry my hair. It took so long. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. Uh... I have the same problem. Yeah, yeah. It's like what are we <laughs> and has then the he same decided problem, he to says. just <laughs> shave it off. <laughs> so that's, that's my take. La. You, can, you can plug it in somewhere. I mean, when people like me saying, plug it in, you say, yeah lah, you think easy lah. No, but it's not easy. But it's possible, doable. You just have to start small. Don't get four doggies and walk six hours. I would have been happy with one. My, one, my wife wants to have seven, so we stop at four. <laughs>
1: And, you know, on that note of integrating it into your daily life, and you know, yoga, again, very confronting to a lot of people, right? Very, very, a lot of people feel like they can't do it. You know, they're not flexible enough, for example. Uh, what are some barriers or beliefs, you know, you've observed among people or clients that hold them back? And would you like to debunk some of those myths?
4: I think one of the biggest ones that I often hear among people is that um, they will say, I'm not flexible and I can't do yoga. So that's one of the things that a lot of people um, think of when they think of joining a yoga class. But in a yoga class, as you've experienced earlier on, it doesn't need to be a lot of crazy, intense, deep stretches. It can be simple. I think we all can start somewhere. And it's all about doing what you can. I really strongly believe it's all about doing what you can. Um, And it's also about the mindset as well. Because whenever you think that you can't do something, I think that mindset actually stops us from even trying. Um, If you give yourself the chance to just be open and to just go ahead and try, then I think you will find that it's a little bit more approachable. So that's one of the biggest um, issues or kind of reasons that people give. Mm
1: -hmm. But on an, you know, for, again, those nine-to-five or eight-to-five workers, you know, I mean, just doing five minutes of that stretching, of you know, breathing, uh, will really, really improve our overall yeah, yeah, health, yeah.
4: right? I agree on that as well. So like what Dr. Hajit mentioned earlier on, you start small, start somewhere. Um, you do not need to think of like, doing a 60-minute, one-hour class. That can be pretty intimidating for a lot of people because they might be thinking, oh, what if I can't finish a 60-minute class? Or maybe they'll be thinking, I don't have an hour in my day, I come home from work, I have to take care of my kids, I have to cook. Um, And 60 minutes can be really hard, but we've also got a lot of options online as well. There are shorter videos, you've got your 15-minute videos, you've got your 30-minute videos. Um, And then at work, some of the simple stretches that we've done earlier on, I think it's something that you can also do maybe in between um, your desk work maybe take time to look up from your computer, just do a little bit of stretch on the size of your body. I think all of those count as well. Okay.
1: And I just want to turn the conversation now, uh, we've got a few more minutes, just to nutrition as well. I think that plays an important role as well, right, Dr. Arvin? What role does it play in achieving and maintaining our fitness and our overall health? And again, you know, are there any common mistakes or myths that we might make that we should uh, be aware of?
2: Okay, uh, with nutrition, okay... uh just to be honest, I'm not a nutritionist. I do spend many of my years talking about nutrition, but not as a nutritionist. So first and foremost, if you do need a detailed advice, please go to someone who's actually established in that job. Okay, has a degree or a master in that. Because uh, in the world of social media, we have a lot of pseudo nutritionists. Okay, people who tend to give very, very what I would call as an absolutist view, that this is bad and that is good. And let's start with that. There's no such thing as a good and bad food. There are things that you should eat more and there are things that you should eat less.
4: Can you eat KFC or not? Huh? Can you eat KFC or not?
2: You can. <laughs> you can eat KFC once a week, maybe two pieces, but if you do it on a daily basis, then it becomes a bit too much. All right. Likewise, if you, you're supposed to eat your fruits and vegetables, All right. eat your proteins, eat your carbs, anything in, in moderation is fine. Okay. And when it comes to things which are more on the sweeter end, more things on the fattier end, Things that you would really want to eat every day if you could, okay? You're
3: okay, not good at Punjabi wedding. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. So, those things, you might have to limit it but not exclude it. So, by doing things like this, your diet becomes a lot more sustainable. I think that's something you should uh, strive for. And when you give things like absolutist commands, like, rice is bad or sugar is bad, then you start you, removing major food components of someone's diet And then that starts becoming a struggle for them. And that's where you have these uh, up and down cycles of diets. You know, I go through a phase of not eating all the carbohydrates in the world. And I go through a phase of just plunging my face into a cake. You know? So why do that? That is the problem with the, the diet culture. People go up and down with that. So instead, practicing moderation and knowing your limits, especially if you have health conditions, will actually help you navigate the situation better.
1: Okay, yeah. and we just have one more question here from uh, Slido, uh, also related to nutrition. Would intermittent fasting and exercise make a good combination? Uh, anyone want to take that one? Yeah, um,
2: Okay, intermittent fasting lately has been like uh, uh, kind of uh, coined as like the next best thing that's existed. Okay, uh, no, not that's not true. When it comes to fat loss, intermittent fasting is not superior to just regular three meals. Just that some people are not breakfast eaters. Okay, some of us get up and probably can get along with not eating till 12 o'clock. And that is technically time-restricted eating. And intermittent fasting is kind of a term that is actually used wrongly. What we mostly do is call time-restricted feeding, not actually intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting requires you to not eat for a whole day sometimes, all right? Now, it does have its health benefits, but it's not going to be superior to someone who just has a very nutritious uh, meal. I mean, good three meals, you exercise regularly, majority of them my grandma lived till 87 doing that Mm. and she never had a care in the world you know so so you ask any elderly person who has lived that long they will tell you that moderation balance have that and if you're someone who enjoys intermittent fasting and you think you can do it well go ahead and do it but I will never say that that is the best thing to do
0: You're listening to an edited recording of the first panel session at this year's Health & Living Live 2023. We'll be right back after another quick break on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health & Living. This is an edited recording of the first panel session at this year's Health & Living Live 2023 on how to get our body moving and keeping it healthy and fit. Here's the final part from that session
1: just going to look at some of the questions on Slido again. So this one has uh, quite a few votes. Thoughts on seeking treatment with a physiotherapist versus a chiropractor. Uh, Dr. Hajit, you want to tackle that one now? Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, oh.
3: <laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> Difficult one. The other day, someone actually uh, on one of the shows asked me, do I go and see you or do I see a chiropractor? So this one, okay. This one I'll answer. Okay. <laughs> now, the, both of them play... A role in recovery after injury okay uh, conventionally in setups where i work at uh, we have an in-house physiotherapist and some of them specialize in sports injuries so we i work with them a lot i don't work with chiropractors but around my hospital um, there are seven of them so i don't fight with them but who do you see first i think it's going to be the doctor. Now, the idea is this. Not because we want to make money. That's on the side. But I think you have to identify the problem first. Okay? Um, you identify the problem. Say something simple like back pain. Eh? 98% of the time is something simple. You go to the therapist or you go to the chiro to do some manipulation someone who knows what he's doing, you will be okay. But there are 2% which are problems. And we have criteria. If you have back pain without having it before, after the age of 50, mandatory to do an x-ray at least because you want to make sure it's not a cancer lying on your spine causing the pain. Possible. Very rare. Possible. If you're a young person suddenly having pain, you got some immuno... Compromise state, pain a lot at night You can't leave it be, you can't go to a physio You need to get it checked up So I think the safe thing is see the doctor get the diagnosis Even the traditional healers around my hospital Because I don't fight with them They actually, if they have a look at your wrist And they think it's broken They will tell go and see Dr Bangali down the road <laughs> Then I will see them do an x-ray And if I think it's just something, some simple soft tissue And they believe in this traditional healer and he's going to probably splint it with some herbs. All we needed to do is actually rest it. So say you go lah. So I think that's the way. The idea is identify the problem. Ensure that the person who's going to treat you for that condition actually knows what he or she is doing. I'm for moi. Moa, everybody goes to a traditional healer first. When I played state hockey for Joho, we had any injury, we go to Haji Midon in Sabatu. So, uh, the late Haji Midon. So, he's helped us a lot because a lot of problems are minor problems, but you need to make sure that you don't get stuck with a bigger problem and delay your treatment. That's my take.
1: Okay. Some other questions here. Other than yoga, what exercise can improve flexibility and improve our focus and concentration? But this one, the question is particularly for the elderly. Uh, Yeah, Shami, go for it. Um,
4: To improve flexibility, other than yoga, there's also mobility training as well. So it's one of the things that um, is maybe not so um, common yet, but I feel that it is one type of class that actually really suits elderly people. Um, So that's one thing that um, can be explored as well.
1: Uh, Dr. Evan, do you want to add anything to that?
2: Yeah, I would just... uh, I totally agree with Shamin on that. When you have the mobility, when you have the joint range of motion that allows you to move through that particular range, then it opens up to different possibilities. I mean, when it comes to strength training, then we can explore the muscle moving through a larger range of motion. And with that you have more gains to come from the strength and muscle size itself. So if you ask, again, it becomes a multidimensional question, an answer, sorry. So we want to explore every attribute that we can, and that itself in totality will actually improve your overall well-being.
1: Yeah. Just on that note, you know, uh, there's one question here from Anthony in the crowd. Uh, he's asking, how important is getting 10,000 steps in every day? Is it more important to be moving throughout the day or is it sufficient to hit the gym just once a day? I think that's for you, Dr. Evan.
2: Uh, okay. <laughs> having steps in, this is what it's called as non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So having the steps in, that means you're actually actively moving throughout the day. And like what Dr. Hajit said, Uh, Most of us think that you have to have a structured time to exercise and that is the only way to exercise and there is no other way around that. But in fact, lunchtime could be time to exercise. You know, you could walk around in your car park. That's what I do for half an hour every day. Okay. Uh, It it, it sums up to about 3,000 steps while you're playing on Instagram instead of sitting down, you know, and replying to some harsh comments. (laughs) Okay. And and yes, so getting 10,000 steps is just a benchmark. And not everybody, look at, look at your daily steps in a day. If you're not very active, you're probably going to, getting 3,000 is going to be difficult, okay? And if your job requires you to sit on a desk for eight hours in a day, 10,000 becomes impossible. So having these small, micro-sized bits of moving around, stretching, and all these things sums up to that. Playing with your kids sums up to that. You would think that it's not, but when you have a toddler who's three years old and you are 170 cm, bending down and standing up, bending down and standing up, that is exercise that gets sums up to actually need that you don't think is uh, which could be very important to your overall health. So ten thousand steps is a good target. Uh, it's not a must, but what we see at least in 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 studies is as long as you get above at about eight thousand, you kind of reap all the health benefits you need. Anything beyond that is great, but you don't have to really like I must get ten thousand. Do not. I'm, I'm a sedentary person. There's just yeah, many ways to do I, I think
3: I can add to that. Uh, so, I feel 10,000 is like a figure given because you have to really do something to actually attain 10,000. It's not easy. And, uh, you know, long day in the clinic, we are all sedentary, sitting down, and then I have a wearable watch. So, it, you know, the wear tag. And it says, move, move. <laughs> so, you know what I do? I just switch it off. La, some days... <laughs> <laughs> Because that's the day you're going to get 6,000, and then when you get 10,000, you're happy, right? We like everything, we like to always have a goal, right? Then when we reach it, wow, best, today I did this, wow, today I did this. It, it's objectivity, la, because you get ah. to objectify something, right? But mine is sometimes I just switch it off. Huh?
4: <laughs> is it good to then set goals? Do you think it's actually good to set goals? Then?
3: Uh, yeah, if you ask me, yes.
2: Like, I would say, I'll tell my patients this. 10,000 is seven kilometres of walking if you didn't know, okay? So, if you could get, start off with five, okay, 5,000 steps, that would be a good start to see uh, whether you can actually attain something that's halfway. And then you see what are the strategies that you might need to add in order to get those, those numbers in. Because, uh, as, as like Dr. Harjit knows, that when we are examining patients, you get a 100 kilo patient, you start having to examine their legs, that itself is a workout for us simply because you've got to <laughs> move it, you've got to stretch it, and those kind of things. But your step counter doesn't count for all those things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you could be just moving from here to there, and because you don't swing your hand enough, you don't get those counts in. But generally speaking, if you could get five to 8,000 to start with, and it means you're, you're spending a little time to just get those steps in. You could be just walking the toilet mm-hmm. or parking the car a little further, uh, take the flight of stairs, the first three floors. If you're, if you're on the fifth floor, take the first three floors by staircase yeah. and then take the lift for the next two if you can't. But like for me, when I do rounds, I never take the lift. I just make it, I'm going to huff and puff I'm like <laughs> the whole time, but I'm going to make it a point to do it because that itself is, is a judgment of how fit I actually am. Yeah, you know? So these little, little things that you could hmm. do to just increase your activity level would make a whole lot of difference.
4: I think it's good to emphasize that like, 10K is actually not like, the ultimate goal that no, everyone no. should be at. Because exactly. when we have that in mind, right? what I see a lot of people do is that when they don't achieve 10K, when they look at their watch, maybe it's like 3K, then like, yeah, never mind lah. Yeah. Not really. <laughs> and then they give up.
2: Yeah, and I think the person did say, right, would that, rep- would that be as good as doing like one time of a gym workout or something like that? Yeah. A gym workout is a structured exercise, which is good for strength and so on and so forth. But this 10K is what it's called, as I said earlier, is a need. This is your overall daily activity. So if I could do both, I will do both. But if you really can't, a half an hour run is actually pretty good. Or going to the gym and exercising is pretty good. At least you're doing something structured where you're spending some time doing actually some form of exercise. Yeah.
1: So what I'm getting from, you know, all of you, find things that, you know, fits with your lifestyle, have a range of things as well, listen to your body, most importantly, of course, Uh, seek help when you need to, uh, and yeah, just listen to your body, we've just run out of time, so I guess I just want to get some very quick concluding messages from all three of you, you know, for, you know, for, for everyone here, you know, maybe they're a little bit unmotivated, or they don't know what to do, what would you, uh, what would you say to them to uh, motivate themselves to be active, regardless of age, regardless of their type of activity, uh, you know, to to be fit and fabulous, pretty much. Uh, Dr. Avin, we can start with you.
2: Okay, uh, I would say, like, start small. That's that's the simplest thing to do. Start small, start trying to be active, okay? You you could follow the criteria, as I said, 150 minutes of moderate uh, aerobics and two times a week of strength training, but if you can't, if you think that's too much, try to get little bits of that and work your way up towards that. Exercise should be individualized, should be specified to a certain person. Okay, if auntie and uncle wants to exercise, both might not be doing the same exercises. They could be doing different exercises. But do it to your capability. And when you fall off the wagon, remember that all of us do fall off the wagon at some point. Okay, if it happens, relax. Okay, remember why you started doing this, then you get back at it. Same thing, when you have a tyre punctured, right, you don't want to stab the other three tyres. What you do is you fix that one tyre and you move on with life. So likewise, life is like that. Whether it's exercise, whether it's nutrition, if you kind of fall off the wagon, remember what is your priority. Dust yourself off, pick yourself up, that's what I tell my daughter, and move
1: on. Okay, Thank you, Dr. Arvid. Sharmin?
4: Okay, what I have to say is just really, really short, which is life is very short. Move
1: while you can. <laughs> Perfect, thank you. And Dr. Hajit?
3: We tend to say life is motion, motion is life. But the most important thing, once you start deciding that you want to get healthy and get fit, don't expect after you finish your first 10,000 steps, the next day you weigh yourself. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be the same. It'll take three, four weeks before you see something.
1: Thank you so much for being with us on this very first panel. That was an edited recording of the first panel session
0: on what it means to be fit, strong and flexible across the lifespan at this year's Health & Living Live 2023 with the theme Powering Through Life. You've been listening to Health & Living BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
4: For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.